Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Sunday, November 19th. Happy Have a Bad Day Day, which is yet another goofy creation from our old buddies Tom and Ruth Roy of Wellcat Holidays. And they ain't hiring. I checked. Sep, it ain't their creation. They fine-tuned it a little, but they stole it from George Carlin, who I'm old enough to remember did a bit about this back in the 80s. The idea is, we've all been commanded by some stranger to have a nice day. For the cynical among us, not only does that get annoying pretty quick, it obligates you to actually go out and put a ton of effort into making the day nice, which ain't always easy or even possible. Bad days, on the other hand, they're handing them out like the sample lady at Publix. Anybody can have a bad day without even trying. Darn, it's the default setting for most of us. The Roy's suggest to celebrate today, store managers should instruct their employees to tell all their customers to have a bad day. Some other possible names for this holiday might include Fired Store Manager Day or Never Shop Here Again Day. And I'm not on board with this one either. I don't want anybody to have a bad day. There's enough of them going around as it is. You darn sure don't need me putting that kind of hex on you. The whole point of these calendar gags is to have an excuse to wish y'all a nice day. And the truth is, I spent too many years going out of my way to cause people to have bad days. Y'all probably won't believe this, but I wasn't always the delightfully snarky person you hear talking at you through the internets every day. I used to could be downright cruel. But what happens is, if you're mean to somebody, they just take it out on somebody else, and so on. And eventually all that anger and hatred and rage goes round and round the world till it all finally ends up in the Middle East. Mostly Gaza, apparently. Our reading for today is Ezekiel 39.1-4027, through James 2.18-3.18, Psalm 118, 1-18, and Proverbs 28.2. So if y'all are ready, in Florida, we don't say have a nice day. We say see you later alligator. The response to which is after while crocodile. You may then say okie dokie artichokey, but that's optional. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on November 18th in the Old Testament, we read Ezekiel 37 1 through 38 23. And these are two very important chapters. First, we have what they call the dry bones vision. Zeke has a vision in which God, quote, carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And lo, they were very dry. Hence the dry bones vision. Mm-hmm. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And Zeke's like, yeah, I'm not falling for that. I'm not committing to an answer one way or the other. So he just said, Lord, you know. So he tells Zeke to prophesy to the bones and tell them God will cause flesh to form on them and breath to enter their lungs. So he does, and they do, very dramatically. Then God explains what just happened. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live. So what most people say is that this is the regathering of Israel, which was in 1948 when all the Jews came in from the diaspora. Except all the Jews ain't come in yet. I got some living in my neighborhood, which I maintain means the regathering ain't complete. I'm probably wrong, but that's my theory. And that part about I will put my spirit in you also hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit lives in the church, not in the Jews. Not yet, anyway. 
but the 1948 thing was probably necessary to start the ball rolling, so keep your eyes on the sky. And in this vision, the doctrine of the resurrection of the body is at least implied, which makes me think it's the end of the millennial reign, but I don't know. Then God shows him another vision in which he joins two sticks together into one stick, which represents the two separated houses of Israel and Judah coming together as one. And verse 20 says, And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. So either God speaking figuratively or this stick prophecy was an actual miracle that the Jews around him got to see. And verse 24, And David my servant shall be king over them. And he's talking about Jesus. So this is second coming stuff. Then in verse 38, we have a vision of the final battle when God finally overthrows the world beast system. It goes with chapter 39, but we ain't read that, so one thing at a time. In a nutshell, verses 1 through 7 present the characters that are in the battle, and the people described are the descendants of Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, as indicated by Meshach and Tubal. So basically, everybody on earth under Magog gangs up on Israel. Verse 4 says God will put hooks in their jaws and make them do it, but it's all to their own ruin because God will protect Israel in a most dramatic fashion with pestilence and blood and mountains getting thrown down and stuff. Gog and Magog, they say, refers to the Scythians, which are up toward Russia. So them, along with Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma in the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, all them are going to come against Israel. Verse 11, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. No cities today have walls. Back then, they all did if they wanted to last any kind of time. So maybe that's poetic language for people who think they're safe, or maybe he literally saw modern Jerusalem in his vision. I don't know. But the real mind-blowing part is in chapter 39 that we read tonight. Okay, back to verse 11. They think they dwell safely and have no need of walls, bars, or gates. Gog comes down from the north as part of God's plan to end it in the sight of all nations. We don't see Israel living securely yet, but there is movement to that end. It is hard to imagine Israel at rest and vulnerable, but that's the impression I get from this passage. And then in the New Testament, we read James 1.19 through 2.17. And whichever James starts out, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Sit down, shut up, and listen, in other words. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. He says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, because faith without works is dead, basically. He says, I don't care how religious you think you are. If you can't stop speaking evil, hateful things, your religion is in vain. And that's not just about self-discipline, but there's also power in the spoken word. God spoke the universe into existence. And we're created in his image. So when we speak blessings or cursings, or we gossip, or we run people down, that carries some kind of weight. Pure religion is this, according to James, to minister to those who need it and to remove yourself from worldly carnality. Be in the world, not of it. Then in chapter two, whichever James then goes to great lengths to say, don't treat people differently based on worldly carnal things like wealth. Everybody stands equal before the Lord. And if they're not equal before you, that's a form of judgmentalism, which Jesus said not to do. Whichever James says, that's sinful and is a transgression of the law. He explains that if you break one part of the law, you break all of it. But Bible y'all Paul, I thought we weren't under the law. Well, we're not. 
but that don't mean it ain't still a thing. And James's point is, remember when Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged? Well, if you're going to judge others, then you're putting yourself under the law. Even if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you still broke that one, because you mistreated the poor man of faith. And he reiterates, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Well, no, grace saves you, if you have faith in it. But having faith in Jesus means you also believe what he said, like love thy neighbor as thyself. If you believe that, you'll act on it. If you don't act on it, you probably don't believe it. Because faith without works is dead. This portion of scripture starts with a wherefore. Another way of saying, look and see what came before. So I paraphrase, wherefore, or since we are God's new creatures, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slower to wrath. And boy, don't we have that backwards. If we do the word, then we won't forget how to bridle our tongue We won't forget to visit the fatherless and the widows when they need us. And we will know how to keep ourselves from being marked, spotted, messed up by the world. And more importantly, because faith without corresponding action is dead. We have dead religion when we don't act on the word. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 117 verses 1 and 2. That's a very, very short psalm. Basically, praise the Lord, all ye nations, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Amen. Short but powerful. And the Barnes commentary had about a thousand words written on those two verses. <laughs> and then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 28.1, which says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, because of their guilty conscience and their dread over God's judgment. But the righteous are bold as a lion, because being in God's favor will do that to you. And in contrast, God has given us in Christ a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and of a sound mind. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for November 19th is Ezekiel 39.1 through 40.27. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire, and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves, and the spears. And they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests. For they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. 
and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. And there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the Valley of Hamongog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog, and also the name of the city shall be Hamana. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl, and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken, of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them, and hid my face from them. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame, and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me, when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people, and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land, and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Chapter 40 In the five and twentieth year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after that the city was smitten, in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and brought me thither. In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel, and set me upon a very high mountain, by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand, and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I shall shew thee, for to the intent that I might shew them unto thee art thou brought hither. Declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. And behold, a wall on the outside of the house round about, and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit, and an handbreadth. So he measured the breadth of the building, one reed, and the height one reed. Then came he unto the gate which looketh toward the east, and went up the stairs thereof, and measured the threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad, and the other threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad. And every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad, and between the little chambers were five cubits, 
and the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate within was one reed. He measured also the porch of the gate within one reed. Then measured he the porch of the gate eight cubits, and the post thereof two cubits. And the porch of the gate was inward, and the little chambers of the gate eastward were three on this side and three on that side. They three were of one measure, and the posts had one measure on this side and on that side. And he measured the breadth of the entry of the gate ten cubits, and the length of the gate thirteen cubits. The space also before the little chambers was one cubit on this side, and the space was one cubit on that side. And the little chambers were six cubits on this side, and six cubits on that side. He measured then the gate from the roof of one little chamber to the roof of another. The breadth was five and twenty cubits, door against door. He made also posts of threescore cubits, even unto the post of the court round about the gate. And from the face of the gate of the entrance unto the face of the porch of the inner gate were fifty cubits. And there were narrow windows to the little chambers, and to their posts within the gate round about, and likewise to the arches, and windows were round about inward. And upon each post were palm trees. Then brought he me into the outward court, and lo, there were chambers, and a pavement made for the court round about. Thirty chambers were upon the pavement, and the pavement by the side of the gates over against the length of the gates was the lower pavement. Then he measured the breadth from the forefront of the lower gate unto the forefront of the inner court without, and hundred cubits eastward and northward. And the gate of the outward court that looked toward the north, he measured the length thereof and the breadth thereof. And the little chambers thereof were three on this side and three on that side. And the posts thereof and the arches thereof were after the measure of the first gate. The length thereof was fifty cubits, and the breadth five and twenty cubits. And their windows and their arches and their palm trees were after the measure of the gate that looketh toward the east. And they went up unto it by seven steps, and the arches thereof were before them. And the gate of the inner court was over against the gate toward the north and toward the east. And he measured from gate to gate an hundred cubits. After that he brought me toward the south, and behold, a gate toward the south. And he measured the posts thereof and the arches thereof according to these measures. And there were windows in it, and in the arches thereof round about, like those windows, the length was fifty cubits, and the breadth five and twenty cubits. And there were seven steps to go up to it, and the arches thereof were before them. And it had palm trees, one on this side, and another on that side, upon the posts thereof. And there was a gate in the inner court toward the south, and he measured from gate to gate toward the south an hundred cubits. Our reading in the New Testament for November 19th is James 2.18-3.18. through 3.18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Chapter 3 My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, 
and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. The wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Our reading in Psalms for November 19th is Psalm 118, 1-18. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. And our reading in Proverbs for November 19th is Proverbs 28.2. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. Okay, that's got it for the 19th. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on being like Christ, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, we thank you for the wonderful example of humility that we see in the life of Christ, who despite being God incarnate, lived his life in humble submission and obedience even unto death. 
Thank you, Lord, that in union with Christ we have the mind of Christ, as we also submit to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Teach us, we pray, to live as Christ lived, to grow in grace and the power of the Spirit, and to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yawning I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got any prayer requests, email them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. Ugh, show burps.